Well, welcome to Big Valley Grace, especially those of you that are visiting with us, and welcome over there in the venue. Thank you, Pastor Brandon, for leading over there, Pastor Jared for leading the worship, and I welcome all of you that are watching online and all that. Um, young man came to Jesus one day and asked him, what's the greatest commandment in all of the Bible? In other words, um, if you could boil this whole book down into the, the, the greatest thing that you could do with your life, Jesus, what would that be? And most of us know the answer, but there might be a few of you here that, that don't. It's a great question. Of all the commandments, God, what's the greatest one? And Jesus said that the greatest thing that you can do with your life is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's the greatest thing you can do with your life. Nothing greater than that. Another way you could put that is that, hey, the, the greatest thing you can do with your life is to make sure that Jesus is in the center of your life. That your, your life revolves around Christ. And I can tell you that uh, in my 35 plus years of walking with the Lord, um, the overwhelming majority of that time, I think I can honestly say that Jesus has been in the center of my life. That I have loved the Lord above all else. But there have been a few moments when for whatever reason, I was in what I might call a spiritual slump. I talked a little bit about that last week. There were times when Jesus was a part of my life, but he wasn't in the center of my life. I, I didn't wake up one day and go, you know what, I think today would be a good day to you know, kind of push Jesus to the side. Kind of disconnect from the Lord, if you will. It just kind of happened. And probably, if you were honest, those of you that have walked with the Lord for any length of time can think back to seasons. It could be that you're there now. Where for whatever reason, Jesus wasn't in the center of your life. You, um, you didn't have a, a love for God's word like you once had. We've probably all have moments when, you know what, we, we didn't have a love for the church like we once had. We could all probably remember moments when we didn't have a heart for the lost like we once had. We, we, we just kind of disconnected. We were in what I call, as I said, a, a, a spiritual slump. In fact, let me ask you a question. Has there ever been a time in your life when you were closer to God than you are right now? And, and that's just something for you to wrestle around with, just to kind of get us started here. Can you think back in a, you know, in a time in your life, last week, last month, last year, last decade, some moment where, you know what, the bottom line is, I, I can remember a time when I was closer to the Lord than I am right now. 
If he answered yes, I guess the next question is, what are you going to do about it? Are you just going to settle for second best? Yeah, I know I'm not as close to God as I once was. I don't, I definitely, you know, don't feel his presence in my life like I used to. I don't have a love for God's word like I used to. I don't pray like I used to. I don't have a heart to reach the lost like I used to. But I'm just gonna just kind of settle for second best. What a lousy way to live. You see, whether you somehow disconnected from the Lord to some degree, and that's where you're at right now, or whether you're in a good place with the Lord right now, the bottom line is that God wants you to experience an unbelievable life down here on planet Earth. In fact, Jesus said this in John chapter 10. He said, the thief comes, the enemy comes, the, the, the devil comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. That, that's kind of his job description. That's what he's kind of all about. But then Jesus said, my job description's different. The enemy has come to do all this crummy stuff in your life, but I came that you might have life and have it abundantly. And certainly that life that he's talking about is fulfilled when we arrive in glory someday. Wow. That will be an amazing moment when we are no longer having to deal with sin and evil and junk and literally will be face to face with the Lord. But I think Jesus was also saying, hey Christian, down here on planet earth, while you're still here, still sucking in on the air, walking around on the globe, eating food, while you're here, I have a, an unbelievable life for you right now. And that unbelievable life has nothing to do with how many homes you own or how many cars you own or how much money you have in your 401k or 403b. There's this unbelievable life that Jesus came to, to give us. But the sad truth is a lot of people, a lot of Christians never experience this abundant life that Jesus came to give us. In fact, I've seeing that a lot of Christians die before they die. They just kind of die on the inside. And they just kind of exist. And part of that is, is because they've disconnected from the Lord, they're in this spiritual slump. They don't do anything to try to get out of it. Like I said, I've been there I remember some times in my life when, wow, I just wasn't as close to God as I once was. I remember those moments. Now, they don't happen very often, but I've been there. This past week, I, I read the story of when Mary and Joseph made their way to Bethlehem for the census that was being taken, and she was pregnant with Jesus at, at the time, and it says this in Luke chapter 2. While they were there in Bethlehem, the time came for the baby to be born. The moment came for Jesus to be born. The second person of the Holy Trinity was gonna be born. God's holy and righteous 
son was going to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in clothes and placed him in the manger because there was no room. Say those two words with me. No room. Say it again. No room for them. No room for Jesus. No room for the Son of God. No room for the second person of the Holy Trinity in the inn. He was on the property. He was, he was close. He could see the main house. But there wasn't any room in the inn. The inn was full. Every room in the house was full. So Jesus had to stay outside in a barn, basically, or a stable or, 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 or the manger. He was close to being on the inside. But there was no room for him on the inside. He was on the property, just not in the main house. He was relegated to the barn, which was better than nothing. I'm glad that the innkeeper had a barn on his property. I'm, I'm glad that the innkeeper had a manger on his property because at least there was some place for Jesus to be born. Dr. James Hastings said this, he said the difficulty with us today is just what it was when Christ trod the earth. And the real reason why he means so little to many of us is that there's no room for him in our hearts. I thought a lot about that this past week. There have been times in my life when Jesus was, was on the property, but I had kind of relegated him to the barn, if you will. He wasn't in the center of my life. Things had crowded him out of the inn, if you will. Oh, he, 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 look, he's in my life, but he's not in the inn. He's in the barn. That's where I got him. Better than nothing. And it's at those moments when, without a doubt, I was in my spiritual slump. Whenever Jesus is in the barn of your life, whenever Jesus is in the manger of your life, you're in a spiritual slump. He doesn't do second place very well. He wants to be in the inn. He wants to be in the main house. He wants to be in the center of your life. You see, we as Christians have the ability because of our sinful nature to force Jesus into the barn or the stable of our lives. It's not that he's not on the property, it's just that he's been pushed into the barn or the stable of our lives. In other words, we can allow other things, other people, activities or whatever to crowd Jesus out of the center of our lives. And I wanna make sure that you you, you understand this, okay? 
The Bible says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? Beloved, there, there, there came a moment in your life when you recognized um, what sin had done to you. You recognized that sin had severed the relationship between you and the very God who created you. And there came a moment when you repented of your sin and you invited the Savior, the Messiah, to come into your life. You, you called out to God. You recognized you couldn't save yourself. You recognized that Jesus was the Savior. You repented of your sin and you surrendered your life over to Jesus. And at that moment, the Bible is crystal clear that Jesus came into your life. You became the temple of God, if you will. You became the house that God now lives in. The Bible says that God didn't indwell a building made with man's hands. Um, when we leave here in a little bit, you're not gonna walk out these doors and get in your car, go to prime time or whatever it is, and um, you know God's gonna be in here, You know the Holy Spirit's gonna be floating around these chairs, just waiting for you to show up here next Sunday. And when you show up, wow, man, he'll come into your life and really you know, do a work in your life. No. When you walk out of here, you take him with you. He gets in the car with you. He goes down to prime time with you. When you woke up this morning, he was right there with you. When you ate breakfast this morning, he was right there with you. When you go to work on Monday, he's right there with you. He's with you all the time. The Holy Spirit lives in you. In fact, Paul said this in Galatians chapter two. He said, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. One of the great truths in scripture is that Jesus Christ lives in us, Christian. But just because Jesus is in you doesn't automatically mean he's in control of you. That's a decision that you have to make minute by minute sometimes, right? Hour by hour, day by day. I'll bet you the one prayer that I pray probably more than any other prayer is when I get up in the morning and I say, God, here's the deal. You're in me, please, God. I, I give you control of my life today. You lead me, God. Let me be careful what I set my eyes on. Let me be careful what I listen to. Let me be careful about how I go about this life today. And I might say a prayer like that literally all day long, driving down the road, whatever it is I'm doing. There's this constant idea that just because Jesus lives in me doesn't mean he's in control. I have the capability because uh, my flesh houses sin. It's the headquarters of sin. 
I have the ability to allow sin to control my life. I, I, I can shove Jesus into the barn. I can say, Jesus, I got no room for you in the center of my life right now. I'm just gonna put you in the barn right now. I'm gonna put you in the stable. Now, you're, you're on the property. I'm just not gonna let you be in the center of my life. And whenever I do that or whenever you do that, you're just gonna disconnect from the Lord. I'm not saying you're not a Christian anymore, but you'll go into a spiritual slump. Now let me share with you some of the things that will cause a person to disconnect from the Lord or push Jesus into the barn or manger of our lives. Because if you know what some of these things are, uh, you, you, you can make sure you don't do them, number one, or if you are doing them, you can make the necessary adjustments in your life to reconnect. And I, I want you to know that, um, well, the first one is distractions and busyness. Distractions and busyness will disconnect you from God. There's a very familiar story, most of us know it in Luke chapter 10 about a couple of gals. As Jesus and his disciples, it says, were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened up her home. That's a nice thing. Christian, man, your home is open to Jesus, right? I mean, wow. I don't know about you, but our home, we got, we got all kinds of things that remind us of the Lord. We got scriptures and we got um, scriptures on our wall and uh, things, all kinds of stuff that just say Jesus is a part of our home. We've opened our home to Christ. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. So there's Jesus sitting in the barca lounger and there's Mary. And all she's doing is just listening to Christ. And even if he's not saying anything, she's content just to be in his presence. That's what she's doing. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. And she came to Jesus and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha thinks Jesus is watching this go down. Martha's, you know, vacuuming the rug and dusting everything and, and got the potatoes going in the thing and she's making the iced tea over here. And there sits, you know, her lazy sister just listening to Jesus. And Martha is so deceived, she thinks that Jesus is gonna side with her. Hey, Jesus, hey, you can see that I'm, you know, cleaning the rugs and dusting everything and I'm peeling the potatoes and I got the roast in the oven and, and, I, and I, I'm making the iced tea. I'm trying to make this all great for you. Please tell her to get off 
her duff and help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. And Mary has chosen what is better, and it won't be taken away from her. That had to be a kidney punch. You think the Lord's on your side, there's your sister, and you just got you know, punched by the Lord right in front of your sister. I want you to be honest. And, and I'll be the first one to raise my hand on this one, because I want you to actually raise your hand. How many of you in here would say, you are more like Martha? Then you are Mary. Raise your hand. How many? How many? Yeah. And by the way, I want you to know, God made you that way. There's nothing wrong with being like Martha. There's nothing wrong with being somebody who, who takes action, who likes to get things done. Nothing wrong with that. It could be Mary was like that. All we know is that Mary was wise enough at that moment to not worry about the carpet, worry about the dust, worry about the roast, worry about the iced tea, worry about all the stuff. She was wise enough, at least at that moment, to just forget about it all and be with Jesus. It's easy to allow busyness, distractions to get in the way. And they can even be good things. Hey, making a pot roast for Jesus, that's a good thing. Making sure your home is clean for Jesus, that's not a bad thing. But when Jesus is in the house, you know, just put, put down the, the Windex. Turn off the you know, the Hoover. Jesus is in the house. This is a pretty important moment. Look, here's the deal. There are things in, you know, that are important in your life. And there are things that really are unimportant. There are things that will enhance your walk with God and there are things that will mess up your walk with God. There are things that will keep you connected to God, and there are things that will disconnect you from God. There are things that will keep Jesus in the center of your life, and there are things that will relegate him to the barn or the stable of your life. And one of the main things that will disconnect you from God are distractions and busyness. Even doing really good things. I remember talking with a man who was telling me that his 13-year-old son was chosen to be on a very pre prestigious traveling soccer team, okay? He was, this boy was really good at using his foot to kick a, a round ball into a net. Really good. Now, he was never gonna be Pele 
or David Beckham, for those of you that are younger, but he was good at kicking a ball, this round ball, into a net. He was really good at that. But the bummer was, was that the team only played on weekends, and most of the time, the games were out of town. Some of you can already relate to this story, can't you? And this man thought to himself, you know, I love God and I love my church and I, I love the place where I serve and it's not that big a deal for me or my family, you know, to, to miss church a few months over the summer. I mean, after all, this is a big deal for my son. I'll be used by God to share the gospel with other parents that are on the team. I'll be used by God to share the gospel with, you know, all these other players that are on my son's team. Well, he told me, that after the summer was over, he just didn't feel like going to church anymore. He didn't feel that close to God anymore. Even when his wife and kids wanted to go to church, he didn't want any part of it. And that was over three years ago. And it was just within the past couple of weeks that he came back to church. And when I thought about this story, I thought, man, it's amazing how one weekend can turn into two, and two weekends can turn into three, and three weekends can turn into a month, and a month can turn into a year, and a year can turn into three years, all because of something good. Think about this. His son can kick a round ball into a net. What dad wouldn't go, wow, my kid can kick a ball into a net. I've, I've got to give up church because he can kick a round ball into a net. He's good at that. <laughs> and so here's this dad, great guy, and told me, gave me permission to use a story without using his name. And wow, I made a decision that I thought was good. I was going to share Christ with all three years gone because he got busy he got distracted here's the deal there are a lot of distractions in life and a lot of things that can disconnect you from God and send you into a spiritual slump literally thousands of them but over the last 30 years or so I've talked to a bunch of people and I've kind of boiled it down to four now this isn't a comprehensive list okay uh, there are a lot of things that could be on this list, but I'm going to give you four. The one that isn't on the list, I got right here in my pocket. And I thought about making this one of them. Incredible tool. It's amazing the stuff I can do with this. More, there's more computing power in my hand right now than there was on any of the Apollo rockets. Unbelievable tool. I've prayed with, I, I can't even tell you how many people. I have had great spiritual conversations with people, literally all over the world with this. Sharing of information, Un, unbelievable. And Satan's pretty good at what he does. All he wants to do is kill, steal, and destroy. That, that's, his, that's his gig. And he's... He knows everybody in this room almost has one of these. He, he's aware of that. And let me tell you one of the ways this will distract you. You show up here at church, 
this unique little moment in history, an hour and a half of your life that you set aside to say, God, here I am. You're fellowshipping with others. Unbelievable what happens in our spiritual lives at that moment. The connection with God is deepening or a reconnection is happening. All of a sudden, the music starts, man. And all of a sudden, this place is filled and our eyes are looking at these lyrics and together we're singing about God and our eyes are now in the heavenlies. God is doing a work through the Holy Spirit in our lives. We have a chance together to worship God through our giving. The, the, the word is being proclaimed and together we're hearing it and all of a sudden, nobody else knows it. It was just a vibration in your back pocket. Nothing's happened. All that has happened is there's a vibration against your body. Take me back. Take immediately, nothing's happened and you're thinking about this thing in your pocket. Your mind's up here. Now it's down here. And now it's, do I answer it? I mean, I'm an important guy. Maybe, maybe this is an emergency. Let's say, my spouse is sitting next to me, my kids are in the children's ministry. You know, well, someone needs me. And now you're, yeah, take me back, take me back. Please go to prayer, will you? (laughs) Anything so I can look at my phone real quick. Unimportant. God, you're you're kind of important, but who's it? That person's way more important, God, than you are. I know you're, you're, you're ministering to me right now, Lord, but, you know, Oh, my sister wants to know if we're gonna have lunch today. I gotta get back to her. (laughs) Meet you at Marie Callender's when I'm done with my meeting with Jesus. Sin. (laughs) (laughs) Got that out of the way, no one saw it. And then, (laughs) oh no! (laughs) And, And here's what happens, listen. Your mind's down here in a nanosecond and it just happened. You're down here. And you think, I'll just put away my phone now and I'll go back. That's not how it works. In one second, you were taken out of this moment. You were no longer present. And now you're thinking about lunch and you're thinking about whatever that thing is. You're thinking about, that's now invaded your mind just like that. Hey, let me set the Lord over here for a second. You're out with your spouse having a nice dinner. Or maybe you're not even having a nice dinner, you're just having two burritos at Taco Bell. Not that, not that that's not a nice place. I eat there all the time. Oh, man. Don't email me Taco Bell. I love Taco Bell. I, I do. No one eats more Taco Bell than I do. I guarantee it. I eat a lot of Taco Bell. But you know, you take your spouse out and you're having dinner with a couple of burritos or whatever. And you're, you're just together, you're talking about your life, your family, the kids, the grandkids, whatever, da, da, da. And all of a sudden, you know, you got this, you're with your spouse. 
Now you're no longer present with your spouse. Oh, you're, you're, you know, three feet from each other, but your brain isn't on your spouse. Your brain is on whatever the text was or whatever the email was, whatever. And then, oh, you're so important to me. I love you, I love you. Yeah, where was I? Yeah, oh, I'm so lucky to be with you, Mike. Why don't I just text you, I love you, honey. And we just, let's just do it, the, let's just do it. That way you don't know whether I'm really looking at your text or somebody else's text, but you'll think I'm looking at your text, so let's just do that. Don't miss my point, I'm not saying get rid of your phones. Uh, this is an unbelievable tool. But like just about anything, it's a tool that can be used for just really evil purposes. And it'll disconnect you from God. It's already happened to some of you here. <laughs> you know when you're here, it's, it's like, imagine you're just meeting one-on-one -on -one with the Lord. You're, you're with him. Could, could you imagine if Mary was sitting right before Jesus? Oh. I'm back, Jesus. But that's what we do all the time. We, we go away for prayer, right? We're having our prayer time, but we take our phones, and our phone, you know, Let me tell you something. They actually have a term now called phantom vibrations, where you don't even have your phone with you anymore. You leave it in the car and you're walking some place. And you go, oh, I don't have my phone with me. But you're just so used to the vibration. You, you don't even, you're just, it's just because you just, it's been vibrating so long for so many years, you just think you're feeling it now. And if you don't feel it, it's weird. Let me give you the four big ones. That one could have made the list, but it didn't. <laughs> Probably should have. Number one, distraction number one is the desire to get rich. Jesus said you, you, you can't serve God and money at the same time. He didn't say you couldn't be rich. He didn't say you, you couldn't be wealthy. He just said you can't make that the number one goal in your life. If, if that's the number one goal in your life, you, you've already kind of shoved Jesus into the barn. Look, if the priority of your life is to make a bunch of money and then retire, you've already messed up. Why? Because God didn't put you here to simply make money and then retire. That's not why he put you here. Listen to what God said through the great prophet Jeremiah. He said, before I formed you in the womb, Jeremiah, I knew you. Before you were born, Jeremiah, I set you apart. I appointed you, Jeremiah, to be a prophet to the nations. And the same thing is true for you, Christian. Now, you haven't been a, you know, created to be a, a prophet to the nations, probably. But like Jeremiah, he has a plan and a purpose for your life, too. And it's not simply just to make a bunch of money. 
and then retire. One of the things that I, I really enjoy is when somebody, and I met with a guy uh, last week who was at that age where he's getting close to retire. And he's thinking to himself, okay, when they finally hand me, you know, the watch, God, I got some time that I can give to you. Instead of those 40 hours that I put in down at the company or whatever it is, I got some juice that I can put into you that I never had before. And there he was saying, Rick, you, what, what is it? There's a guy who got it. He worked hard, served the Lord while he was working, but now he's got some extra, extra time. I was thinking of one of our elders, uh, Rex Klein, who's retired. I mean, he still substitute teaches and stuff, but the guy's always down here at church. He's always down here doing something, serving somewhere, doing something. Come down here. The staff is having a meeting. There he is serving us lunch. He's serving. He's picking up our dishes. And I think there, there's a guy who got it. He worked hard his whole life, retired, kind of has a, you know, a substitute teaching gig. But you know what? I got some time. I got more time than I used to have. And there is a bunch of you in this room. And I could point out a bunch of you in here who you got it. But unfortunately, there's too many believers who don't get it. And they get up every day and the goal is I just gotta make a bunch of money so I can you know, retire some moment and do all of that. And if that's the mindset you have, I want you to know, it'll, it'll just disconnect you from the Lord. Uh, distraction number two, wallowing in past mistakes and, and failures. This is, this is a big one. When you beat yourself up over you know, past mistakes or past failures or past sins, you'll never feel like you're connected to God if that's all you're thinking about. Look, God knew Jeremiah would blow it and yet he still created him and had a purpose for his life. God knew that, that Peter was gonna deny him three times and yet he still chose him to be one of the, the great men of the faith. God knows that you're gonna blow it, Christian. But like Jeremiah, he still chose you, still has a plan for your life. And the Bible is crystal clear that when you go to God and you ask him to forgive you of your sin, he forgives you of your sin. He cleanses you from all unrighteousness, over and done it with, as far as the east is from the west, he doesn't remember your sin anymore. It's done. But if you keep thinking about, oh, you know, back in you know, 62, you know, I really did something stupid. You're just never gonna be whoever it is that God made you to be. You'll never fulfill whatever God's plan is for your life. Yeah, you should be broken over sin. You should be broken over, you know, that kind of stuff. You ought to feel guilt over those kinds of things. But once you go to God, ask him for forgiveness. It's over and done with. You may have to deal with the consequence of sin, but you can still move ahead with what God has planned for your life. Distraction number three, worrying about what other people think. <laughs> Man, I want you to know something. If that's something that rattles around in your brain, I wonder what that person thinks, or what does this person think about me, or what is this, you're just gonna get disconnected from God. Because here's what happens. 
One of two things happen when you compare yourself to somebody else. Number one, you find yourself doing better than the person you're comparing yourself to, and then that just leads to pride. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking at Andy. Oh, dude, man, I'm way better off than Andy. Man, poor guy, man. Look at me. It just you can't help but get prideful. Or number two, you find that that person you're comparing yourself is doing better than you. Oh no, Andy's doing better than me. Then you get depressed and you get bummed out and you get discouraged. You get jealous. You're envious. Because man, he's doing better than I am. Look, God has a unique plan for your life and you'll miss it if you're always looking at what God is doing in everybody else's life. God's got a plan for Andy. God's got a plan for me. God's got a plan for you. You just focus right there. You rejoice in whatever it is God's doing with somebody else. The, 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 the disciples struggled with that. Everybody struggles with it. Jesus is telling Peter what to do with his life, and he says, well, what about that guy? Jesus says, Peter, who cares about that guy? What matters is, is what I'm telling you to do. I think the hardest of the, of the, of the great 10 commandments for us is number 10. The idea of just being content, not envying others, not coveting what others have, whether it be their things or homes or cars, their clothes, or just what they do. Just being content with whatever it is that God has given you, that God is doing in your life. Uh, d distraction number four, your plan for your life. That'll, that'll, that'll goof you up. You see, your dreams, your desires, your wishes, your goals, your ambitions, your hopes, your desires, these are all huge distraction from God's plan in your life. All, all of them. Now, I don't think there's anything wrong with having a plan or having a dream or whatever. But once God makes it clear what his will is for your life, then you dump your will. Your plan doesn't matter anymore. Let me tell you something. Thought about it this week. I've had a lot of dreams, a lot of things that I would have liked to have done with my life. But this is what God wanted me to do. Praise the Lord. I'll do it. And here's the deal. It's not that the dreams or goals or whatever I had were, were evil or whatever, they were great. King David wanted to build God a temple. That's a good thing. God deserves a temple. I'm gonna build you a temple. That's a good dream, that's, that, that's a good desire. But God says, oh, I'm gonna have a temple, but you're not gonna build it, David. You're not the guy. I've heard a lot of, 
I've just heard a lot of great dreams in my 35 years here from people. But sometimes God calls you to do something and you just do it even if it doesn't make sense. I'm not sure Isaac, you know, was really thrilled about being in that, you know, bushel thing and, you know, dad's about ready to jam a, you know, knife in his gut. But Abraham said, hey, look, man, this is what you want me to do, God, I'll do it. Doesn't make sense, but I'll do it. Here's, here's the bottom line. When it comes down to your life, you got, you basically got two choices, okay? Number one, you can choose to do your thing or you can choose to do God's thing, but you can't choose to do both. You can't do your plan for your life, your will for your life, and God's plan or God's will for your life at the same time. You can't do it. Psalms 19 is a great prayer. This is a great prayer. It says this, turn me away from wanting any other plan but yours. Man, I've had to pray that a lot of times. Man, God, I got this thought, I got this idea, I got this dream, but here's the deal, God. <laughs> what I want is your plan. And if it ain't your plan, I don't care how good it is. Just, I just want to turn from it because I just want to know that you're in the center of my life. I don't want to put you in my stable. I don't want to put you in the barn. Barn's got some good things in it. But in the end, I need you there. Hebrews chapter 12 says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the faith, to, to the life of faith. Let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. See, God set something up for the great prophet Jeremiah. God has set up a race for you. And we have to be careful that we don't let all these things that can distract us goof us up from that. Let me ask you two questions. Number one, question number one, how badly do you want to be what God meant for you to be? Think that through. How badly do you want that? How badly do you want to be connected to God or reconnected to God? How badly do you want Christ to be in the center of your life? How badly do you want to make sure that you haven't, you know, relegated Jesus to the stable or the barn of your life? How badly do you want that? That's a great question. And I'll bet, uh, you know, everybody in here who names the name of Christ says, man, I, that's what I want. I want that. It's the second question that becomes the, the hard one. And that is this, what are you willing to give up in order to get it, or to have it, or to make it happen? Wow, that's the harder question. Here's the deal, you're gonna probably have to give something up. 
You want to do God's will for your life. You want to keep him in the center of your life. You know, it's probably going to cost you, you, you something. When I first gave my life to Christ, I read about these uh, men in the Old Testament. That, that they were called the, you know, the mighty men. I didn't even know what that meant. I just liked the term. And I remember thinking when I was a young believer, man, I want to be one of these mighty guys. I want to be one of those guys. And I can remember, man, I didn't know much. I don't know, I was probably going to a little Bible study over at George's house when he lived on Union there, and we'd meet in his little thing, and we'd be studying the Bible, and I wouldn't know much, but in my brain I'm going, man, you know, I just, I just want to be one of God's mighty men. But to be one of God's mighty men costs you something. It's like, it's like being a Navy SEAL. I watched a program the other day on how you get to be a Navy SEAL. Yee. I think it would be easier to actually become a SEAL, if you know what I mean, or like a, <laughs> than it is to become a Navy SEAL. I mean, it's unbelievable. I'm watching this thing going, well, no wonder these guys are the baddest dude on the, dudes on the planet. No, no wonder they can take out, you know, six guys, eight guys can go take out, you know, a whole squadron of guys. No wonder, look at this, this is unbelievable. It's a very elite group. And just because you say, I want to be a SEAL, you don't get to be a SEAL. It costs you something. If you want to have Christ in the center of your life, you want to make sure Christ isn't in the barn of your life. You want to make sure that you're connected to him. You want to be one of God's mighty men or mighty women. It's probably going to cost you something. It's easy to say. I remember I had prayed that I don't even know how many times and years had gone by and I was working for my father in the jewelry business. And uh, I get a call from the pastor of the church here. And he says, hey, we want you to become a youth pastor. And I'm thinking, oh man, this is fantastic. And then there comes this moment when he tells you what you're gonna make what your salary is. <laughs> Sometimes it'll cost you shekels. Because I, I was making this for my father in the jewelry business. And here, here, yeah. <laughs> here, here's, here's what the church is going to give me. Now, I could live. I just, I just couldn't have the house that I wanted to have. I wasn't going to be able to have the car that I wanted to have. Well, I, I, I could put a roof over my head and I could have a car. It doesn't always cost you money, but it might. Think about some of our missionaries that have left and some of the greatest men and women I know, well-educated people, could have, could have made a fortune here doing all kinds of stuff here, but you know what they chose to do? Take a salary and go somewhere just to tell people about Jesus. Sometimes it does cost you money. I don't know what it's gonna cost you to be one of God's mighty men, mighty women, to keep Christ in the center of your life, to stay connected to him in a way where you're making a difference for the kingdom's sake. I, I, I don't know, but it probably is gonna cost you something. 
Some of you right now just need to make a, 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 a commitment to God and tell him, I'm selling out to you, God. You created me. You have a, a purpose for my life. So right now, I am going to sell out to you, God, whatever it takes. And when you pray a prayer like that, let me just tell you something. I think that gets God's attention. When you're willing to say, God, I want to be one of your Navy SEALs. I want you in the center of my life. I want to make sure that I'm following your will. I want to make sure I'm connected to you, God. Let me just tell you, it just gets his attention. And that might be what some of you here on the venue watching online, maybe that's the commitment you just need to make. The reason why you've disconnected is because something's distracted you, something's gone on. And you can walk out of here saying, God, Today it ends. I'm reconnected. I want to be somebody that you can use because I'm in the center of, you're in the center of my life. The second thing, just real quick, just so we can get there. Disobedience connects you from God. And I could have put these two together, but I wanted to keep them separate. You see, when God tells you something to do and you ignore it or you wait on it or you delay in doing it, that, that's an automatic disconnect because it's sin. And sin always disconnects you from God. Always. So let me ask you a question. Is there something that you know that God wants you to do that you've been procrastinating on? Is there something that you know that God wants you to do that you still haven't done? I mean, you're planning on doing it one of these days, but you just haven't gotten around to it yet. God wants you to get into a small group. Does God want you to be a part of our men's ministry? Does God want you to be a part of our women's ministry? You know he wants you to be involved in those two things. And you've just been putting it off. You're scared. You're nervous. Here's the deal. Before today's over with, you know what you do? You call the church, leave a message for Gretchen or Rich Sasser and say, I don't even want to wait till Monday. I'm coming. I want to be a part of it. I've been disobedient in that area of my life. Does God want you to sing in the choir or play in the band? You know he does. You're good at playing an instrument. You got a decent voice and you just, well, you know, they're so good. You know, how, how would I fit in? Listen, let me tell you something. It's sin. You know God wants you to do it. Before today's over with, you ought to call the church, get to Butler's you know, phone and say, I'm joining the choir. I want to be there Wednesday night or I'm joining the, you know, the orchestra or the band. I play drums. I do whatever. Does God want you to serve in the children's ministry? Does God want you to start giving? You know you're supposed to give. You know it's a biblical principle. And every Saturday or Sunday when you show up here and that green thing goes by, you know it. You know God wants you to honor him with your, with your wealth. Let me tell you something. Before today's over with, you had to grab one of those envelopes, go find an usher and say, you know what? Not anymore. I've been in disobedience to God. Get this to the right place. Here's my offering. Does God want you to be baptized? You know Christ is your savior? You know God wants you to be baptized, but you've been putting it off and putting it off. Oh, I'd be embarrassed to get up there. Ah, oh, you know, my hair's gonna look weird. Oh man, I'd be too nervous to say anything. You know, I don't care what your excuse is. You know, it's just sin. It's disobedience. 
That'll disconnect you from God. And you know what you know how to do? You gotta pull out a card, write your name and your phone number on it and say, I wanna be baptized, and next weekend, we're baptizing here. I'll, I'll, I'll make sure you're baptized next weekend. Because I don't want you to live in disobedience anymore because God doesn't want you to live in disobedience anymore. Does God want you to forgive somebody? What do, you, what do you keep putting off? Here's the bottom line. You'll never experience the abundant life that God wants you to have if you're living in disobedience to, to God. Never. Jeremiah chapter, chapter 15 says, therefore, this is what the Lord says. If you repent, I will, it says, I will, not I might or I'll think about it, but I will restore you that you may serve me. And for some of you, that's what you just need to do. You've been in disobedience, sin over something. And today's the day you repent. And you just take action on it and guess what? The Lord will restore you. He'll reconnect you. He'll, he'll move out of the, the, the manger and he'll move into the inn. He'll be in the center of your life and watch what God happens. Watch what happens in your life when, when, when you allow God in the inn. Over in the venue, stand up. Everybody in here, stand up. Let, let, let me pray for you. Father, thank you, Lord, for our time. Man, last night was great. Lord, I, I love being here. And I pray, Father, for those that will uh, make their way over to the... Um, Fireside room, the prime timers. May they have a great time fellowshipping. So thankful for people like Lee, leads that ministry and others, Lord. May they have a great time. God, may we be people who uh, make sure that Jesus is in the main house of our lives. God, I don't want you to ever be in my manger, my, my barn. I want you to be in the main house, the center of my life, God. Lord, thanks for being a good God. Thanks for making it really easy that when we disconnect, we can reconnect. It's simple. It's easy. Thanks for your goodness, Lord, and I pray these things in your name and all of God's people said, amen. amen. Hey, Lord, bless you.